I am a summer, uh, I'm a winter type of person. I prefer winter over summer. Um, enjoy spring the most. Um, so usually the cold doesn't bother me. Yesterday I was outside till about 10 o'clock. I came back in. I actually fed the cows at 10 and I told Stacy, I'm not going back outside. She goes, good, then I can put you to work. I said, do it. So I went through my whole closet, got rid of a bag full of clothes I haven't worn for probably 10 years since we moved in, like, you know, like the 1980s wide pants, you know, got rid of those. And then we went through our sock basket. We've been collecting socks. I don't know how socks miss, but they do. Ended up with a whole basket of socks. I think we found 15 pairs, dumped the rest. So we accomplished a lot yesterday. Then we grabbed our, our gloves and hats, went through all of that. So we just had a great day indoors, um, enjoying our time as a family and in the heat. So hopefully you guys found some ways to enjoy the, the cold as well yesterday. If you're on vacation and you're joining us online, welcome. Um, we're glad you can do that as well. We're thankful for that technology. Before I, I preach, I want to announce or talk about a couple things. just want to say thank you for your generosity. Um, one of the Lent readings that we wrote this week talked about personal generosity. came out of 2 Corinthians 9, 1. It says this, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. This congregation just blows me away week after week, month after work, month, and your generosity, your financial giving, um, the, t the way and the hours and the time that you serve. I mean, just look at this financial giving from last week. It was amazing. The offering last week was 32000 some dollars for the tithe. Go over to the gym, and we have our rent-a-teen auction. I've been involved in a lot of these. $11,000 raised for the teens last week. And then we had our benevolent offering for the Ukrainian Relief Fund, over 1200 for that as well. So over $44,555 given last week. Just want to say praise be to God. <laughs> so you can be generous in every occasion. One other way I've seen the generosity, we finished up Awana this week. If you saw the picture online, Steve had us all get all the staff and all the students up front that came to Awana. What a blessing. Thank you for your time. 50 years of Awana here at First Baptist Church. Dave Neenhai started it 50 years ago. And we got to celebrate that this week. <laughs> thank you, Dave, for your vision. We loved it. And uh, thank you for all the workers for Awana this, uh, this past year. It was a, it was a great year. Um, a lot of younger kids, a lot of boys. The girls' numbers were a little bit low, but God did great things. So we're going to take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 20. If you noticed the bulletin last week said read 20, 21, 22. So I got in the office on Monday morning. I grabbed my Bible and I read Genesis chapter 20 and I stopped. And then I read it again and I stopped again. I never made it to 21 and 22 for this sermon because as I was reading Genesis chapter 20, I, 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 I saw an issue that keeps coming up in Genesis 3 and Genesis 12 and Genesis chapter 20, and that is that there is a birth of a lie and then the repercussions of what followed from that lie. And it's an interesting subject because, because literally all of us at one time or another, or maybe even today, struggle with the whole idea of lying and what that looks like. 
We live in a culture that lies. Listen to some of these statistics, or, uh, these answers to some of these survey questions. When asked the question, true or false, should you always tell the truth? This is to the American public. 56% said yes, and a staggering 42% said no. Have you ever preferred to be lied to? 42% said yes. What is that that you lied most about? 20% said their past. 13% said their salary. And 11% said their age. When, <laughs> when asked if you ever have given out a fake phone number, 31% said yes. And this was before COVID. After COVID, I think it was higher. And then asked, what about white lies? 60% of people said it is okay at times to tell white lies. So then I read another survey. And a quarter of the respondents said that they lie on surveys. <laughs> we as a culture have adapted and accepted lying as something normal. We all know that the internet never lies, right? So, so my hope for this morning is that we as followers of Jesus do not adapt to those statistics, but that we in fact infuse ourselves with biblical understanding of this subject of truth and lying and what comes out of our mouth. But more importantly, that we hear a warning of why we need to take this seriously. So the results of lying have hard lessons to be learned for every one of us. It, it never ends well. Not only does it hurt the individual that is telling the lie, but it affects every person that that lie comes in contact with. When you lie, it just doesn't affect you. It affects your family, it affects your friends, it affects your coworkers, your teammates, it affects your testimony of what God's doing in your life. We've all seen lies ruin families, ruin friendships, ruin careers. And in this chapter, in Genesis 20 today, we are going to see the deep repercussions of lying. So with that said, let's bow our heads in prayer, and we'll start in verse 1. So Father, I took a surprising direction this week as I was studying. But Father, I also know that you're the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you, Jesus. And Father... You are the truth. And because we are followers of you and disciples of you, we want to be people of truth. So help that become more clear this morning. So Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh Father, because you are my rock and my redeemer. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen. So we're just going to go verse by verse through chapter 20. Let's start out. Verse 1. Abraham moved south to the Negev, and lived there for a while between Kadesh and Shur. And then he moved on to Gerar. So question, why did Abraham decide to move south? Remember the timeline. Last week, Genesis 19, we saw Sodom and we saw Gomorrah being destroyed. And, we, and, and maybe Abraham is looking over those value, valleys where these cities were, and he's like, I can't take that anymore. I don't want to see that pile of rubble. He had lots of family members that were in that city. I want to say to, thank you to Pastor Stuckey for doing a great job with those two chapters last week. 
But more likely than that, Abram has been on this journey of faith, this pilgrimage of faith that we've been following him for on some time. And as he's walking and following God on this journey, he's looking for a city whose foundation and, and, and the core part of it was being built by God. And he keeps walking, say God tells him to move from one place to another, and he keeps following God in obedience. So, so look, at, look at this map. Abram and Sarai at that time started out way over on this end. It's not even on the screen in the, in the Ur of the Chaldeans in kind of modern-day Iraq. And they just kept following God. He didn't know where they were headed. They kept following up to Haran. And then they come down along the Mediterranean Sea. And they, they keep moving on down, stopping and pitching their tent and picking it up and moving. And they keep working their way down. And now today we find them all the way at Gerar, way, right under the word Israel there. The interesting thing to me is that they have just passed through the promised land. And they really didn't even know it. But they keep moving and they keep following God. Continue on in the text. While living there as foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife Sarah by saying, She is my sister. So here we go again. We heard Abraham tell this same lie in Genesis chapter 12. In a few moments, we'll learn that he says it's only a partial lie. And a partial lie is still a lie. In a few moments, we'll hear the reason why he told this partial lie. And he's living in fear, and, he, and he, he's trying to save his own hide. Satan is intentionally using untruth, or not truthful statements. He's using fear as a tactic to convince Abraham that telling the truth is a bad idea. And we also listen and entertain that lie. Genesis 8.44, I mean, John 8.44 says this about Satan. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is a what? Liar. That needs to be clearly remembered in our minds and in our heads. So the father of lie, lies convinces the father of nations to do what? To lie. And he will do the same with you, and he does the same with me. Satan will do whatever he can to help us forget the promises of God, to forget the very thing that you said amen to at church today, to forget the very thing that you just read in the Bible and like, I really needed to hear that. But Satan is relentless in the way he tries to make us forget the promises of God. You know why he's so relentless? Because he knows the power of the guarantee of God's word. He, he knows the promises that are in God's words because he knows that when God says something and declares it, it's going to happen. So what does he want to do? He wants to attack Abraham, God's person. He wants to attack you. That's his tactic. Convince you that there's another way. Convince you that God doesn't know what he's doing. Create doubt and fears in, your, in, our, in our minds. And Abraham succumbs to the belief of the lie instead of the promise of God, and he repeats the lie that he told in Genesis 12, and he again introduces his wife as his sister. Next, next section. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. 
He brought her to his palace. Other versions say he took her to his palace. At that time, the kings had a, had a harem of women. And when they saw a beautiful woman, they would take the women. It was almost a curse to be beautiful in that culture. Because if you were beautiful, the chances are the higher-ups would, would notice you and take you. It was considered in those cultures the duty of the beautiful women to become part of the harem of the king. It just blows our mind today, but that was a mindset then. Now remember, it's interesting, how old is Sarah at this time? 89 years old. 89, and she's still so beautiful that the king took notice of her. And she was not only beautiful, but she was probably at the beginning stages of being pregnant. Because we know the promise is coming. We were introduced to Isaac a couple weeks ago. And he's going to be born in the next chapter. So now God has to intervene because of Abraham's lie. Verse 3, let's look at this. But that night, God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, You are a dead man. Great way to start a dream. For that woman you have taken is already married. Notice he does not say Abraham's wife. It's that woman. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet, so she, he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't Abraham tell me she is my sister? And she herself said, yes, he is my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. So this is an intense dream that we see here. Imagine God speaking in an audible voice in your dream, and the first thing he says is not, behold, or take heed, but you're a dead man. Frightening, strong language from God. Now, well, why would he do that? Don't miss this. Remember who's coming through the Abrahamic line? Jesus, the Messiah. And if this king would have slept with Sarah, to this day there would be doubts about the ancestry of Jesus. So God had to intervene there. That's why it is imperative that God intervened. And then later on in this chapter, in verse 16, we'll see that Sarah is completely cleared. There could be no doubts in people's mind. Look at God's response to the king. As when he says, I am innocent, and my hands are clean. Verse, it's supposed to be verse 5. Um, yeah, there we go. In the dream, God, it's verse 6 actually. In the dream, God responded, yes, I know you're innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning against me. Why I did not let you touch her. If you read it in the ESV, it says this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of of your heart. So remember one of the reasons why we're spending so much time in Genesis is because it's the book of firsts. So many biblical principles are laid out in Genesis and then carried out through the rest of the word of God. And this is the first time that we see this word integrity, this, this concept. Now I have three Charles Spurgeon um, quotes that I want to share with you this morning on this concept. Serve God with integrity, and if you achieve no success, at least no sin will lie upon your conscience. That's truth, as you're determining what success is. And here's another quote. Read, read this one with me. 
You lose your strength, Christian, the moment you depart from your integrity. Again, so true. In the moments of our weaknesses, the moments that we doubt, when we, when we are in constant fear, the subject of integrity comes up. Here's the point. If you are a person who is honest, who is, is innocent, who has integrity at the core of who they are, you're not going to cover your tracks. You're not going to hide anything. You're both publicly and privately the same person then what we see in Scripture is that if you are that person, God will keep you from plunging into sinful activities. Because the concept is this. What you sow, you reap. If you sow the Spirit, there will be life. There will be integrity. There will be God's blessings. This helps us to escape the habits that start with a lie and end up with destruction. Now, if you're sneaking around behind your spouse's back, if you're looking at pornography, if you're not a man or a woman of integrity, there will only be a few moments, maybe a year or two or maybe longer, but God will not allow that to continue, that deception, that lie, and there will be consequences. It starts with a lie. We need to be honest with ourselves. Do you have integrity? Are you walking in innocence? Are your hands clean? If you're not, you're on a dangerous road. Lying will become second nature. And God's like, no, I don't want my people to have that in their life. Verse 7, we'll come back to that concept. Verse 7. The dream continues. Now return with the woman to her husband, return the woman to her husband, and he will pray for you, for he is a prophet. Then you will live. But if you don't return her to him, you cannot, you can be sure that you and all your people will die. So we see another first in this verse. The word prophet is mentioned for the first time in the Bible. And notice it's used in relation to a very disobedient man. A prophet named who? Abraham. God in his relentless love of Abraham is going to correct this. This is so good because we need to remember that whenever we fail, whenever we blow it, whenever we choose not what's integrity, God is going to do what he needs to do if we are truly a child of him to restore us. And in Joel it says God wants to restore the years that the swarming locusts have destroyed even though abraham was still even though abraham is still in sin god looks at him and says you are a prophet and i'm going to correct what's happening in your life god's mercy did not leave abraham and god's mercy will not leave us so verse 8 watch what happens Abimelech got up early the next morning, quickly called all his servants together. When he told them what had happened, his men were terrified. Rightfully so. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What have you done to us, he demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do what you have done, whatever possessed you to do such a thing. You see what's happening here? 
This prophet is being rebuked by a king that does not fear God. That's humbling. Which again prompts the third Charles Spurgeon quote of the morning. God does not allow his children to sin successfully. Read with that with me. God does not allow his children to sin successfully. That's so painfully true because our sins will find us out. God loves us so much that he does not want us to live in that state. He doesn't want us to stay stuck in the muck or the mire. But when we choose to lie, when we choose not to have integrity, we stay there. And it affects us, and it affects those around us. Notice Abimelech's response to Abram. What have you done to what? Us. What have you done to us? Not me, but to us. That's an appropriate question to ask. It reminds me of a Proverbs in Proverbs 25, 26. It says this, If the godly given to the wicked is like polluting a fountain or muddying the spring. This visual of this proverb is so spot on. When a Christian sins with or before non-Christians, they are polluting a well or muddying a spring. It's like, like, Come and enjoy this Christian life. Look what God's doing in me. But all they do is see the sin. They see the muddy, the effects of what's happening. And it's not just the effect in your life. It's the effect of all those around you. So every spring when I lived down in Holland growing up as a kid, one of our favorite things to do was go sucker spearing. We were, the, April 1, it starts. So we'd get there just before dark. We'd go check out all the ditches. And we would see how clear they are, the clarity of the water. And if that ditch was clear, we'd go back and get our waders and our spears and our lanterns. We'd jump in the creek, and we would start looking for fish. And soon enough, we'd find pods of suckers, and we'd start trying to spear them. And eventually, the suckers would fly upstream, and then somebody that doesn't usually go with us a lot would start chasing those suckers upstream. And as they do that, they muddy the stream. All their feet and all that sediment gets stirred up and that comes back to us who are downstream and we can't see the suckers. So now we've got to move forward and we've got to go find clear water. That's exactly what happens when a Christian sins. When a Christian lies, it muddies the waters. It's like a polluting a fountain or muddying a spring. So do you see why integrity is so valuable and so important? Because it's the very thing that is going to prove if everything you say, everything that you believe is true or not to that person. It's always true. But they're going to see that in your life and say, what? You're a believer? And you're lying? You're muddying the water? Abraham's well, his life, brought zero refreshment. He polluted the water, and it was very clear to the king and all those around him. And that's what will happen every time that we stretch the truth. Every time. Are you with me? How often? Every time. But I love in that same Proverbs 25 and verse 11, just before it, we see the contrast A word fitly spoken is like what? Apples of gold and settings of silver. 
Truth is always valuable. So here's Abram's response in verse 11. Verse 11 of chapter 20. Abraham replied, I thought this is a godless place. They will want my wife and will kill me to get her. Abraham, why did you lie? Two words that got him in trouble and gets me in trouble. Because I thought. Assumption is a dangerous form of communication. Picture this. Stacy, my wife, goes to the store. Not any store, but Target. Let's say she leaves at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's 35 minutes to get there, 35 minutes to get home, maybe shop for an hour and a half. That would get her home at about what? 1 o'clock? All right, you're following me? 1.30, she's not home. 2 o'clock, she's not home. So I call her. And where is she? Still at Target. Now, did I tell you I think she has supernatural abilities over the phone because she can sense that I have made some assumptions? And as usual, she is right. We had never, we had never talked about the time she would be home. I had forgotten about a stop at Big B on the way down there. And then when she's down at Big B, she looks across and she sees Goodwill. So then you have, to stop at, you have to stop at Goodwill. And when she finally gets to Target, she's got to check all the sales. And, and, and there's no way she can get through the store in an hour because we live so far away. And then she runs into somebody that she knows and talks to them and catches up on them. So then I call her because I assume that she's going to be home at a certain time. And I think as I'm talking to her, I think about saying the words, I thought you would be home, but I catch myself. Because I've learned over the years, that doesn't get me anywhere. So I just say, have fun shopping. Enjoy your time. I'll see you when you get home. Now, is that how I responded the first 10 years of our marriage? No. I have learned assumptions are dangerous. I thought. Abraham, I thought I was going to get killed. I thought this was a godless. Do you know why, we ha why there's trouble when we assume things? Because in our assumptions, we draw false conclusions. The reason I'm doing this is because I thought you thought. And that's where Abraham missed the mark. That's where I missed the mark. Abraham, I thought this was a godless place. They're going to kill me on the count of my wife. So let's just assume that the assumption is true. Does that give Abraham, does that give him the right to make that assumption? Does it give you the right to save your own hide? That's a tough question. And you'll get numerous different answers, even among believers. We, we can't forget that the very first sin, it was birthed into the world from a lie, from Satan to Eve. And God is like, I don't want that to be part of my people. Read, read, this, read this with me, Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. 
Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Lying is a characteristic of our old nature. It's who we were in Adam, who we were when we had the sin, when we choose sin. It is not who we are now in Jesus. When we accepted Jesus, it changes things. Abraham is called out by a Philistine king. We are called out by God himself. So don't be like that. Choose truth. So Abraham is in trouble. And we would think now it would be time for him to start telling the truth. Look what he says next in verse 12. And she really is my sister, for we both had the same father, but different mothers, and I married her. I would have loved to see Abraham's face as he's telling the king this. Maybe this will convince you. But it doesn't. It raises the question, can a half lie produce a whole truth? Can a half lie produce a whole truth? No. Every single time, no. It's parenting 101. It's what you teach your kids every single day. Technically, it's true, but it's only half the truth. And Abraham made the, the, the comment so he could mislead Abimelech. Here's the problem with half-truth. I need to call it out for what it is. It's called bearing false witness. When you purposely make statements to deceive the person to not know the whole truth. If you want to live that way, become a politician. There's some good politicians, I promise. But Christians are not called to live that way. To bear false witness is more than just giving information. It's entirely centered on implication. If you are meaning to deceive someone, whether or not you want to label it to protect them or, or, or whatever that might be, we need to call it what it is. It's a sin. It's false witness. And this is what, exactly what Abraham is doing. And then God is constant throughout the scriptures. Tell the truth. Do not lie. Now some of you are probably sitting there thinking, what about Exodus 1? The midwives in Exodus 1 or Rahab and Joshua 2. In both situations they lied and people's lives were saved. But God used it in their weakness. But it's not God's best way. Let me tell you a story about Corey, uh, Corey Tim. Who's familiar with Corey Tim Boone? Okay. She has a sister by the name of Betsy. The Dutch Tin Boom family hid many Jews in their homes during the Nazi invasion. And Betsy had decided years before that she would never tell a lie. It became an unbreakable promise for her, a principle that she built her life on. And one day some German soldiers came into the front door and they burst into the house to search it for Jews. And there was a family of Jews hiding under the table in a, in a cellar underneath the table. They had gone down through a trap door. And a German soldier asked Betsy, asked the family, are there any Jews hidden in your house? Betsy had no time to think, no time to pray about what to do next. So she just acted on instinct and in accordance with the ingrained habits that she had in her mind 
as she had built up all these years, she blurted out, yes, they're hiding underneath the table. Betsy's family was horrified at what she just said. The soldiers assumed Betsy was making fun of them and couldn't possibly have meant that there was actually Jews hiding underneath that table. He took it as sarcasm. His face became red. He became mad. He ordered the, the soldiers to search the whole house. They searched everywhere but underneath the table. And everyone underneath that table survived the war and made it through it. God holds truth and love together in perfect marriage. And when they are married, there is no conflict. Where they split apart, there are dilemmas. This is not because there's something wrong with God and what God says in his character. It's because we live in a fallen world. We have fallen natures. And until God's kingdom is fulfilled, those of us who follow God will experience period of periodic conflicts in our heart and in our lives as we try to love in truth and tell, tell the truth and tell the truth. And there's a tension is there and it's real. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us to follow God's truth in every situation. So back to our text. I'm going to keep moving through this. Look what happens in verse 13. When God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place, I told her, do me a favor. Wherever you go, tell the people that I am your brother. Do, do you see what's happening here? Abraham has created this pattern that did not start in Genesis 20. It started way before that. He had planned this from the beginning. Can you imagine their wedding vows? Will you, will you have me as your lawfully wedded husband to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, sickness and health, and also wherever you go, will you tell everybody that you're my sister? Sarah's like, yes, you had me at I lied. But she agreed, she agreed to this. Verse 15, 14 and 15. Then Abimelech took some of his sheep and cattle and goats and male and female servants, and he presented them to Abraham. He also returned his wife Sarah to him. Then Abimelech said, look over my land and choose any place where you would like to live. Reading this, I'm like, this is backwards. Why is he blessing him for lying? If anything, Abraham should be the one blessing the king. Hey, I lied. Thanks for calling me out and setting me straight. No. Abraham's already a wealthy man. And I believe Abimelech, I thought about this for a long time. And I believe Abimelech did it out of reverence for Abraham's God. Because it was God who spoke to him in the middle of the night. Abimelech was not impressed with Abraham, but he was impressed with Abraham's God. We see evidence of this later in chapter 21, section 22 through 34, where King Abimelech and, and Abraham, they make a covenant. And Abimelech does not fear God. Abraham does. But listen to what he says in verse 22. God is, one back, God is obviously with you, helping you in everything that you do. He was obviously impressed with Abraham's God, our God. 
Back to verse 16. And he said to Sarah, look, I'm giving your brother 1,000 pieces of silver in the presence of all these witnesses. This is to compensate you for any wrong I may have done to you. This will settle any claim against me. And your reputation is what? Cleared. Can you just hear his voice as he's saying this? Look, I'm giving you your brother. You want me to call him brother? I'll call him. I'm sure. If Abraham would have treated you like a husband supposed to treat you, this wouldn't have been an issue. But look at how this verse ends. Your reputation is cleared. She is cleared in front of all these witnesses. God wanted to make sure that everyone knew that she had not slept with the king. Sarah, you're cleared. There could be no doubt that this child, this promised child, comes from Abraham and you. Huge verse. Now verse 17 and 18, the last ones. If you haven't tracked with me thus far, please, for the next five minutes as we wrap this up, pay attention, because there's something powerful here. Verse 17 and 18. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants so they could have children. For the Lord had caused all the women to be infertile because of what happened with Abraham's wife, Sarah. There's a hard lesson to be learned here. And I've been praying that this will encourage most of you. Here's the reality of Abram's, we'll call it ministry, his, his, his faith walk. He's now able to pray on the behalf and to and for Abimelech. He cannot preach to Abimelech. His testimony has been ruined. The, wa- the waters have been muddied. He can't say, Abimelech, God loves you. Even as a Philistine king, God loves you very much. Think Abimelech would have heard that? Think so? Do I need to start over? Okay, we can go all the way back to Genesis. What if he heard what Abraham would have said? No. His, he had shut down to what Abraham was trying to tell him. But now what can he do? What does God tell him to do? To pray. Pray. How many of us can relate? There's someone in your life who you have hurt or you have ruined your testimony with. They don't trust you anymore. They won't listen to you. You call them on the phone and they hang up. You send them a text and they don't respond. It's painful, but it's the nature of how this works. And God's like, pray for them. Bless your enemies. Be Jesus to him that way. Pray for him. Those that have hurt you, those that drive you crazy, those that you think are lost cause for the gospel, maybe because of what you've done in your life, Jesus wants to work in their lives. Pray for them. So Abraham prays for him. And they can have their children. So as we close... Here's a couple challenges. I want you to choose one person in your life who may be an enemy, who you may have hurt, or or they have hurt you, somebody that drives you crazy, and commit to pray for them. Pray that God will bless them. Right now, seriously, think of a name. Pray that God will bless this person. But also pray that he, as you pray, that he will heal you from the bitterness that you have towards that person. 
Life is too short and God is too big to let a root of bitterness go deep down into your life. Begin with prayer. Pray for reconciliation in that relationship. Pray that they will see Jesus. Pray. Do you have that person? If you're over one years old, you have, or if you've lived any life at all, there's a person like that in your life. And then answer the question, is it ever okay to lie? You're going to have situations in your life where you're going to have to choose. Am I going to tell the truth? Whole truth and nothing but the truth? Am I going to tell a partial truth? A white lie? And you have to ask yourself, is it ever okay to lie? God honors truth. And some of us, the third challenge, is you need to make a, a lie right. You might have li- lied to somebody over the past. And you need to go to that person and make it right. Maybe it's a business dealing, a family relationship. But what do you have to do this week to go make that relationship right? And finally, start practicing the whole truth. Start speaking truth all of the time. Be like Betsy Ten Boom, who made a commitment to that at an early age, and it became the foundation of her life. As followers of Jesus, we have to be truth-filled and truth-telling people. Do not let the devil get a foothold, because he is the father of lies. Value truth. In chapter 20, Abraham had a relapse in his walk of faith because he lied. And it always begins with a lie, either that you're believing or that you're telling. This whole series, we want to keep talking about walking and pilgriming in faith. We cannot be a people of faith if we're constantly believing or telling lies. So next week, we're going to read the famous chapters of Isaac being born. Abraham asked to sacrifice him. We get to understand that his name means he laughs. So read chapters 21 and 22 this week. You might have been reading it already because it was in the bulletin for last week. Continue this week. God's plan, plan has never changed. His timing was perfect, even with a disobedient prophet by the name of Abraham. So let's pray. Father, there was a lot there today. And I just... Um, I get amazed that I study your word every week, the truths that are in there. Chapter 20, Father, you're calling us to a people that live truthful lives. There's going to have to be some hard work done this week. So may your Holy Spirit lead and guide us. Thank you that you have given us a new nature that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We do not have to choose to live out of the old self. We can choose to put on the new nature every single day when we get up. So thank you for that, Father. Lead and guide us this week, and we pray this in your name. Amen.